Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle-related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and centre in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Is it time to break up with feeling stressed out? Get your free, calm and collected audio to make you feel like you've taken a mini vacation in under seven minutes a day. Head to www.livingfabulously.com forward slash calm and collected. You'll find the link in the show notes. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Dr. Linda Joy Rose, who not only is a therapist and author, but she's also a healthy living expert. Welcome, LJ. Thank you, Bev. I've been looking forward to this. And me too. And so tell me about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, for many years, I traveled the world as an international speaker and trainer in the fields of hypnotherapy and subconscious dynamics. And through going through a very difficult healing process, I realized that I had a mission in natural wellness. So now I teach people about healthy living, which combines with the healthy mind and a healthy spirit. Oh, that's fabulous. And how would you describe your own well-being journey? Well, always up and down, (laughs) (laughs) but more up than down in the last, I'd say, eight years or so. So I was doing a lot of traveling for years. I lived in Southern California. I live in Tampa, Florida now, and my morning commute was Tokyo. (laughs) And from there, I would often go on to other countries in Southeast Asia. It was a very interesting life. Many thought a glamorous life. But after 13 years of constant traveling, sometimes every month, some years every other month, it started to take its toll. I didn't realize at the time that I was ill. And when I gave up the traveling, I just started to go downhill uh, to the point that there were literally weeks at a time that that I couldn't get out of bed. I developed um, irritable bowel syndrome. At this point, it was terrifying for me because I, because of all my travel, I was usually on the other end of that spectrum. And then I started to get shingles with a reoccurrence about every three or four months. And The last time I went to see my doctor about that, he said, I'm really worried about you, LJ, because if you get shingles in less than 18 months recurrences, you can wind up with permanent neurological or brain damage, which absolutely terrified me. So I immediately started to research. There wasn't really much more that I could do than be in bed with my computer and researching. And I I kind of had an idea by then, Bev, that it was food-related, that there were food allergies. I had started to awaken. This was probably around 2008, 2009. There wasn't a huge amount of information, but there was a lot of information. And I read an article that said that if you would go to raw foods, mainly raw and living foods, about 85%, that you could knock out food allergies in like 90 to 120 days. So I thought, well, that is 
really interesting. But the only thing I knew about raw foods were some snacks I used to buy when I lived in Southern California. It was a little place um, that sold to the health food store that I bought from that was good to go foods. But what was very interesting and synchronistic was the next day a friend called and she lived, she lives in Arizona, but she said she brought my case up to a group of functional doctors that she would go to a group every week. And they said, get your friend on a raw food diet ASAP. Again, fascinating, but I knew so little about raw foods, but the very next day, and I'm really about the, the number three in synchronicities, I connected with a friend that I used to box with in Southern California, and she's a lot younger. And she, she had this corporate job. She had been in college when I'd first met her. And she said, LG, I left the corporate world. It was eating my soul. And I'm doing now what gives me passion. And I'm like, hon, what are you doing? What gives you passion? And she says, I am a raw food chef for good to go foods. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful synchronicity. So needless to say, I went raw the very next day. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned, I taught myself, I researched. And because I'm a writer, I've written eight books, I, you know, immediately became very gung-ho because honestly, Bev, within three weeks, I felt like I was a brand new person. Healy went on still for, for several months and I, I stayed high raw for a few years, but I immediately went to my husband and said, I have to tell the world about this. I have to, you know, have to tell everybody to go raw. And he's like, well, good luck with that. Um, most people are not going to go raw. It's a very fringe lifestyle, but why don't you train people like me? Why don't you teach the rest of us? Why don't you do something kind of like a raw fusion? So he came up with that idea and I wrote a book called raw fusion living and I had interviewed a lot of people in the raw community and they loved what I was doing. Victoria Butenko, who invented the green smoothie, wrote the foreword for the book. And I got quite a following because when you eat raw food, it is phenomenal for your body, but it is quite honestly a very challenging lifestyle to sustain over time. Yes, I can imagine that because we're so conditioned, I guess, to having cooked food, you know, so you would have to really do the research, have the recipe books, you know, have the motivation. So I'm trying to understand then, you know, you've had this incredible journey around, I mean, shingles is so painful out here. I haven't had it myself, but oh, I yes. can only, <laughs> only imagine, you know, people that are in my life who've mentioned it have said it's terribly painful. So I can imagine you were looking for answers, but what I'd love to know is what do you believe is the relationship between an autoimmune disorder and stress in one's life? Something that I have found out is that just by the work that I do as a therapist and working with so many people, training therapists, training healers, is I found that the autoimmune is something very common in the wounded healer. And a lot of us who are healers have a lot of, a lot of woundedness ourselves. We want to heal the world, but we haven't quite figured out how to heal ourselves. Like, so I've seen that a lot with people with fibromyalgia and the other autoimmune disorders, really intense autoimmune like lupus, are people who are sad. They have so many inner issues that haven't been dealt with. They want to heal the world, but they don't know how to take care of themselves. And so I... I really identify to that, Bev, because although I have been considered one of the primary experts and pioneers in the training of hypnotherapy worldwide, 
And that involves knowing how to deal with anxiety and trauma and stress. I do need to admit that there was a long time that I was not really taking care of myself. It's like I had forgotten everything that I knew. I think that nurture instinct in women is so incredibly high that often we actually don't relate it to ourselves, which is really unusual, isn't it? You know, we often want to take care of everyone else, but actually we haven't been taking care of ourselves in a deep and meaningful way either. Something I've taught is that if you don't learn a healthy kind of selfishness, you usually wind up with an unhealthy selfishness, meaning that it's out of your control. You wind up with something like an autoimmune disorder like I did where I wasn't even able to take care of anybody. It was hard enough to take care of myself. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And I don't know what the statistics are. It's something I'm probably going to look up after our call. But it seems to me that I have known a lot more women with autoimmune disorders than men. So I think that that would really play out to what you were saying. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think you and I will both be looking that up because it's suddenly a correlation I've made in my own mind. You mentioned, you know, you'd been traveling so much, you had a really busy life and all those type of things. But how did you know you were dealing with an autoimmune disorder? Well, at the time I was told I had an autoimmune disorder, but it was nonspecific. Um, Nowadays, I think they're naming them or they're doing deeper testing. But he had suggested that what I had was an autoimmune disorder. I don't really remember testing other than finding out certain food allergies that I was having. And I think he had me do an elimination diet at the time too, which is where you give up the typical allergens, which are wheat and corn, soy, dairy, um, those types of things that we know right off the bat cause allergies. And it was still difficult to ascertain, but getting constantly getting shingles indicated that my own immune system was weakening. So how did you begin your own recovery process, LJ? I think it was really about getting passionate again. Um, In the interim from doing the international training, which I absolutely love, I think if, if somebody were to ask me, what do you love above all things in the world, I would say it is teaching and mentoring. And I was out of my wheelhouse. I I had a product line that I had developed and even though it was lovely, it was, I'm, I'm very much the introvert. I can go out and I can speak even to large groups, but I like to be behind the scenes and I would have to go out to trade shows. And then eventually we went, um, retail and I'd have to train, um, the employees, which was like 2006. So the, we hired a lot of millennials and that was a really difficult generation as they were coming into their late teens and early twenties. So I wasn't dealing with stress, but once I started to shift and I got excited about writing this book and getting out in the world and speaking on the um, subject of natural wellness and, uh, healthy eating and even doing a lot of demonstrations because people are really fascinated about raw food and how delicious you can make it. My passion was back. So I think that had a really big part in my healing process as well as getting a lot more nutrition in my food. Yes, I think that whole finding your your purpose again uh, makes a lot of sense to me. And so in your view, how do people get into that stress state, that constant state of stress? Well, stress is a habit. And, you know, that's really kind of my background is understanding the mind. And so if you have a habit, you really do have to work consciously to break habits because they're in the unconscious mind, the subconscious, which is 
really like 80 to 90% of what rules us from moment to moment. So once you have stress programmed, you literally have to work in a dynamic way to recognize your triggers, to start to take control again, to do certain things like breathing, like maybe doing relaxation, guided imagery, meditation, um, probably going to see somebody or work with somebody to get to some of those issues that are causing the triggers. Is there a recommendation or action you can give listeners right now that would support them? I would love to. I wanted to be a meditator probably since I was a teenager and I went through every single different type of of meditation technique, um, including getting um, a mantra from TM and going through a lot of different yogic disciplines, but it was, I couldn't get myself into the habit. So finally what I did is I taught myself a breathing technique. Now, Andrew Weil, Dr. Andrew Weil, who wrote Eight Weeks to Optimum Health, among many other books, says in that book that if the singular most important thing that you could do to improve your health on this moment would be to learn better breathing. So what I did is I taught myself this breathing technique, which is called 20 breaths, and I can send you the link also um, if, if people would like to read how to do this um, in an article. And I committed to myself that I would do this, this breathing technique every single day for a year. And that meant sometimes doing it when I was in the bath, you know, because I, I wouldn't find the time otherwise. And I did this and I felt better. And after a year, it kind of segued naturally into a meditative process, but I'd love to teach uh, your listeners how to do this, this breathing, if you'd like me to. Yes, let's do this. Okay, so what you do, you want to be sitting down is probably best. And you don't have to be on the floor with your legs crossed. You could be sitting in a chair. Uh, You could do this also laying down, but you're much more likely to fall asleep. So if you intend to go into meditation, it would be harder this way. But if that's the only time you're going to do it, do it. Okay, so you want to start out by taking five deep breaths, which would start out with in through the nose and out through the mouth. It's almost as if you're taking a little like string up to the top of your head. It doesn't have to be heavy or exaggerated. Now, as you breathe in, imagine that you are taking in everything that is liberating, that is positive, that is relaxing, that is opening. And as you exhale, just anything that bothered you, anything that is stressing or depressing you, any anxiety, just let that out through the soles of the feet. And After the five breaths, you'll just go back to breathing in and out through the nose without any extra force. And mentally, I count on the exhale. So what I do is I count on the next five all the way up to 10. And then the last 10, I count from 10 to one. Now, I don't know exactly why it works going up to 10 and 10 to one. If it works better for you just to go sequentially up to 20, that's fine too. And then at 20, just go back to normal breathing. This Mm. oxygenates the brain. And a lot of times when we are stressed, it's because we literally don't have enough oxygen in our brains. And we're trying to solve problems without having everything present that we need in order to solve the the problem. That's a really good point. Because without oxygen, we actually wouldn't survive long, would we? We know that. So And I guess we also tend to breathe more shallowly when we're stressed. So that also contracts as well. Yeah. So this is is really kind of working against that. If 20 
23 hours of the day or 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day you're breathing shallowly, at least you're doing something for those seven to 10 minutes that it will take to do the 20 breaths. Now you can even do it in five minutes. If you're having a really stressful day at work, and you can get into a lunchroom where you're sitting by yourself, go to your car, even go to the restroom and go into a stall and do five of those breaths because that will shift you right away. Like you say, your breath is so accessible. You could go do the, the cubicle in the bathroom, you know, if you if you're at work or if you're in a difficult situation. Yeah. So that's that's a really handy technique. And so would you like to tell me a little bit more about your Natural Wellness Academy? So as I started uh, to become known in the world of natural wellness, I was being interviewed a lot, doing a lot of television shows, traveling around the world. And I, I noticed that people were asking me to help coach them. And I started looking into what was available in health coaching. And I realized that there was something that was really lacking there. And I think it was this quote that I read from... Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist, said, it is easier to change a person's religion than the way they eat. And that was just so mind-blowing for me because I realized that many times, maybe you've seen this in your life too, Bev, or people who are listening to the show, life comes full circle. And as you start to awaken and become more conscious, you find that everything that you have done, everything that you've learned is for a purpose. So I realized that it was time to backtrack and to go back to my specialty in the mind. And so I created the first combination uh, training. So we train not only in holistic health, but also life coaching, because, you know, as they say, it's not always what you're eating, it's what's eating you. So we train (laughs) therapists to, (laughs) to be kind of able to deal with what's eating you too. And um, we've gone on to train people into um, becoming a certified clinical hypnotherapist. We've just started a gut therapy specialization because I did understand that a lot of the reason that it was hard for me to overcome my depression was because I was so out of sync in my gut, my microbiome, which is your second brain. And um, we're even starting now to do a spiritual wellness specialization too for people who are more drawn we're very much body mind spirit in all of our courses and so LJ what are your tips for living fabulously well I think that meditation is really important so if you can build that 20 breaths into a meditative practice that is really where you get in touch with who you really are because it is so probable that who you think you are is not anything really like you really are. And I think when you can tap into your purpose and feeling better about yourself, you can't help but live fabulously. Beautiful. Thank you. And you can find Dr. Linda Joy Rose at her website, which is www.ljsnaturalwellness.com and also on Facebook under Natural Wellness Academy. LJ, thank you so much for sharing your own journey and really inspiring us to take care of ourselves. I love what you said, and I'm probably not going to quote you uh, verbatim, that taking care of yourself is a healthy kind of selfish. If we don't sort of take care of ourselves in an all-encompassing way, that's sometimes an unhealthy type of selfish through the form of an illness would stop us in our tracks to, to start to learn that process again. And I do love that you come back to the breath. And I I also use Dr. Andrew Wheel's um, 478 breath 
and teach that myself because it is the one thing that we've got. It's a tool that in any moment, in any situation, we have it with us all the time. So it's something that when we become more conscious about how we breathe and how, in fact, how shallowly we breathe, thank you for sharing your techniques around doing the 20 breaths because I think, like you mentioned, is breathing in the positive and letting go of the negative and troublesome stuff that's bothering us and actually witnessing that leave is a much more safe and uh, healthy practice for us than just stewing in the juice so to speak (laughs) of of those things so thank you so much for being with me today absolutely and if you do that with consistency you're going to see miraculous changes in your life thank you Thank you so much for listening and I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.